Um, all right. Should I say that again, or are we okay starting? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hang on now. Okay, say it again. Okay, so Dan, Dan Goldfield, he gave me this really great narrative to show me what it, to give me a picture of what it's like to really enjoy this practice because I noticed that it was turning into something to do and I, it's important to me that I'm enjoying it because that's the whole show because if it's something to do, it turns into a burden, right? So he gave mm -hmm. me this little, this awesome, beautiful narrative of, it's like Alex of Sparta, atop of a hill, his hand tightly gripping the ax and then he waits patiently and quietly, and then all of a sudden he sees a figure, ah, it's Duca emerging from the fog before him. He throws his axe with all his might <laughs> and sees the axe spiral back into his hand, and he's satisfied with his throw. And mm -hmm. um, so I've been, I've been doing that, and <laughs> uh, what I've noticed is that it's it's sometimes gets to a point where it's like like right now what happens is mm, I guess the only good way to say it is like the juice or like the buzz that that was giving me is uh -huh. like is like it's subdued now it's less juicy it's less buzzy it's it's so Everything so like that that's okay it's yeah right. yeah so I just the thing is, though, what's really interesting is even though that's like that, I'm still enjoying. I'm still feeling success. I'm still and feeling, feeling satisfied. satisfied. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to say but. And what I'd really like to do. <laughs> Good catch. Good what, I'd, what I'd really like to do is 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 keep up that enjoyment of it to, to continue mm -hmm. to enjoy um, and, 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 and I mean, the point he made to me is like, it's about being, creating that ingenuity, which is, uh, being creative, innovative. Um, so I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that for me, ways All I could. the whole show. Let's, <laughs> let's review it in several respects. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Um, but just so much success today. So much. Like, congratulations. Like, congratulations. Like, like I, went, I went to work today. Damarado, I want you to know. I went to work today, and I said, I'm going to make friends. That's what I did today. I wasn't working. I was making friends. Every person I called, I was like, hey, John, how's it going? <laughs> exactly so. That's exactly right. Yeah. But on, on several occasions, I've told people, uh, that when you go to work, your only job there is to make friends with the people. That's yeah. the only job that anybody That's actually it. has. That's the That's job. It. Okay. That's it. And everything else falls into place from there. Everything else falls right into place or falls apart if you're not doing it. If you think <laughs> yeah. that the work, if you think that the work is reason that you go to work and that work becomes really important to you, your life is going to be miserable and everybody else's life is going to be miserable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, so that's that point. All right, so 
let's look at this from that uh, from the perspective of what the Buddha is actually teaching here, because that image of th throwing that axe at the dukkha and that and the uh, the thrill of the chase and the finding and the grabbing and the striking and the return of the axe and all of that can be put down into that one little phrase that the Buddha said, uh, aha, I see you, dukkha. That's, but you're 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 drawing that analogy out. Now there's also uh, there's more aspects to it than that, and that is is that um, let us say I'm drawing now out of old Mahasi Savada literature, which is different than the Mahasi practice of Western Buddhism. Okay, okay but the old original is where uh, Mahasi Salada points out that whatever object of meditation that you're taking, mm -hmm. we do it uh, by, uh, by seizing, grabbing, falling upon, or confronting the object of meditation, which is not at all what's taught in Western Buddhism. What in Western Buddhism is taught is a, a noting method Mm -hmm. But the noting method really doesn't have any skin in the game. Even the breathing that they teach is just noting breathing rather than seizing the breath, taking control of the breath, having some skin in this game. Okay, and so this analogy that you're using is actually marvelous because it shows that you're actually putting right effort into it. You're putting skin in the game. You're seizing that object. And in this case, the object is the axe that you're swinging at the dukkha. Mm. And so I really want to congratulate you for this. Now, yes, exactly. This is exactly Dhamma that what uh, Danny did. And I really trust Danny. He knows the Dhamma. I mean, he knows this shit. Yeah, he does. He does. I know. I watched him grow through it. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes stomp around in it. <laughs> <laughs> he told me. <laughs> Which it's funny, we still haven't gotten around to that. He keeps telling me to ask you about his struggle stories, the times when he was in the ditch. <laughs> but we always Never talk mind. about something else. <laughs> yes. Well, there's uh, there's also another student that I'll tell you about that has something slightly different than that because I taught uh, this guy's name is Ben, and he has um, uh really received great value from the story that is the Buddha teaching in Sutta number 19, and the name of the Sutta is Two Kinds of Thoughts, where the Buddha, I think that I've already told you this story uh, about the, the cow herd that is taking the cows out of uh, the shed and having to take them through the village, yeah. okay? Uh, ben and I went off on the tangent of rawhide. Hmm. You know, the, the, the song, and the uh, TV, the song actually is out of a TV series and that uh, the, the movie, the Blues Brothers made that song very famous again and popular. But it mm. was an old song out of the, um, you know, it's uh, round them up, hit them up, hurt them out, move them on, rawhide. I've never heard it. OK, so you can go. I'm sure it's got dozens of copies on uh, YouTube. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. And so the whole idea in this song is, is that there is a bullwhip making cracking sounds. Mm. 
Mm. to crack those bulls or crack those cows to get them in line, okay? And so Ben picked up on that whole idea of cracking his whip, getting the mind going. And guess what? That's exactly what you're talking about here. Exactly. It's the same story. Exactly. It's the effort and the energy and the joy that we have that we put into that to say, yeah, we can do this. Yeah. yeah and yeah, so yeah. congratulations with that. Now, there's another point, and and that is is that um, the initial bringing up of that joyful, gleeful energy that is based upon the success and the feeling of success of, I've got this, okay, that I can sing rawhide right out loud, you know, I can crack that whip, I can throw that axe, I I can do it. This whole, uh, and it's a kind of an awakening, an awakening to the power that you actually have had within that you didn't even know that was there before. Yeah. So, yeah. So this is also in the poly very, very well known and very clearly stated out, but most people read right through it. They don't have this exhilaration of the feelings of it. But this is what the word pity is actually all about. Mm. Is the thrill of the chase. Mm. Mm. Right? Rather than the oppression of having to be burdened down by uh, a practice or a thought system or whatever like that. No, it is actually a joyful, exhilarating, enthusiastic, we got to go. We got to go do this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh-huh. It is all like right. that. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. So and then you also mentioned that that, too, kind of subsides. Yeah. Uh Right. Okay. well, this is exactly the analogy that's being drawn that after the cow herd gets those cows out to the pasture where they're operating wholesomely, now the cow herd can relax in that sensation of, wow, I could do this. That crack of the whip, that throwing of the axe. We don't have to keep throwing it all the time. But when Mm. we need to, we can throw it and we have that. So now we can just relax. Mm. So we're actually doing this in the poly. We're talking about relaxing from pity into pity sukha and into sukha, which is now the, uh, uh, the predominant feeling is the feeling of satisfaction and release and relax. But we do need that really heaping pile of uh, satisfaction that's built into it, okay, that you're experiencing with the throw of that axe or the cracking of the whip or the, oh, that feels so good. You could do it with the breath. But whatever we're talking about, it's back to that Mahasi point about seizing the object. So you're mentally seizing that axe. Ben is seizing that whip. Yeah. It, it has that kind of gesture to it. You put some skin. Little yeah, sometimes skin. I go around my house and I do this. <laughs> uh-huh. And I wait for it to come back. Uh-huh. I'm, like, okay. I'm like, I'm like, I'm chopping onions today. And in the middle of it, I just get up and through the kitchen and my girlfriend's washing dishes. She turns around and I'm like this. And she's, like, <laughs> she's just laughing at me. <laughs> she's like she's like your she's like your energy oh my god it's contagious <laughs> precisely so 
Now, this is the part of Anapanasati practice that you cannot get from a book. This is the kind of Anapanasati practice that the people who are writing books don't put in there. Mm-hmm. That is actually expressed as intellectual information. That's a good point. But yeah. it has to be uh, given Experiential. out. Experientially. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so this is an important quality. Now, in Western mentality of what meditation is, it's all very quietly not moving a muscle, sitting in a meditation hall for <laughs> yeah. many, many hours. <laughs> yeah. And you yeah. see how this practice of Anapanasati is, is exactly opposite to that in many ways. Yeah. This one is yeah, actually putting sure. some skin in the game. Yeah. But we get started with that quiet time of beginning to figure out what the mind is doing but then when we get it rolling, that's when we can bring out the axe. That's when we can bring out the bullwhip. So, okay, so let me ask you this. So what's uh-huh. happening now is like that thrill has kind of subdued. It's subsided. Yeah. But also, or and also, when I throw that axe now, um, it's almost as if, it's almost as if it's yeah it's almost as if i uh th- that axe the 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 satisfaction that comes from seeing that axe strike that um dukkha mm-hmm. is is not coming from that anymore there's that and then also the dukkha is 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 less of a thing to be struck at if that uh-huh. makes sense, it's, it's, right. it's like, it's like a, it's like, I don't know what, I don't, my ax is like just going through things. That's what it feels like now. So it, mm-hmm. it's starting to feel kind of like pointless in a way. Ah, well now we can relax because we recognize that the skin and the game and the energy and the game that we put into this to figure out that that target is really illusionary. Before it was real, the dukkha was real. The ordinary mind really does feel bad. Mm. Okay, people, you Mm. do suffer when the dukkha is real. That's what we actually mean by it is, is that it is, in fact, dissatisfaction itself. And now when you have these um, um, experiences of being able to deal with that dukkha, you are going to do really nothing to it. And there we get an even grander sense of relief. Well, wow. <laughs> there was really nothing to it at all. <laughs> it's okay. That sounds awesome. And it's weird. It, like the thought comes up. Could that, could I really, could that really be me? Could that really be where I'm at right now? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, that's like, it doesn't sound. Yeah, you're already at a stage of meditation that many meditators take 20 years to get to. And in fact, you struggled for a long time in that way, and it would have taken you 20 years or more to have gotten out of it what you've gotten out of this in the past six weeks or so. Hmm. That's the speed of the Dhamma when it's practiced correctly. So what about like the whole thing of 
you know, like we're practicing the skill of building the house of cards, right? So I'm practicing the skill of hacking yeah. away at the Duke, or uh -huh. I guess you could say, right? So, uh -huh. well, I guess now you're beginning to see that Duke is that is merely nothing but a house of cards. There's nothing to it. And you're beginning to see that. That's what you said. That's what this is about. That this just. When we say a pile of shit, really, when we say it's a pile of shit, uh, we're talking about lies. The real way of looking at it is, hey, there's nothing here. There's nothing to it. But when we call it a big pile of shit, then we have the feeling that this is a load of shit, which means it's something that I've got to carry around as a load. Now you're beginning to recognize, hey, I can handle this easily enough. It's not just a pile, um, and it's not a big pile of shit. It's just really nothing here. <laughs> just a thought. That's all it was. That's as that's the only existence that it has is the that's existence it. of a thought. Yeah, that's but it. But when yeah. we when we thought that we were the thought, then we have that thought, feeling, doing. Uh, over and over complex. That's the samsara, is when we own the thought. Now, now this we is... can see the thought as that's just another thought, and we can actually throw an axe at it. You are not so, that thought. So if if I'm... So here, the only thing that I don't want to do is I don't want to, like, I don't want to take my hands off the lever and then lose my sukha or lose the pity. Exactly. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... Can like, you just relax and stay on guard? Relax and stay on guard. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, okay. relax Got and keep it. watching. Yeah, Got the it. the uh, the cow herd is sitting under the tree. He's keeping an eye on those cows. Like, He's watching. Like, mm, 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Mm. Right. Where's that duke? It's like, oh, now no I can, duke here. <laughs> I can drink my. I can drink. You know, a warrior. I, I can drink my warm glass of mead. My my warm mug of mead and. And watch mm -hmm. the sunset, and and watch the sun rise. But as soon as I see Duca, yeah, yes, exactly. Uh huh. Okay. Wow, this is fucking nuts. <laughs> so, I'm really surprised. Yes, in the beginning, we got to whack a lot of cows. In the beginning, right. we got to throw a lot of axes. And, but right. when we get good at it and get joyful at it, then it's okay that we're throwing axes. But then we begin to recognize, hey, wait a minute. I don't have to throw axes at that one. Hey, wait a minute. This one's okay. Hey, wait a minute. Things are looking good. So we keep watching. But now so, we're seeing wholesome rather than seeing unwholesome. Mm -hmm. So what about this? Because this is like this is something that keeps coming up. The thought of, um, oh man, just <laughs> sometimes I just forget. <laughs> sometimes I just don't even remember the thoughts, yeah. the unwholesome thoughts. Uh, but it was it was it was something like, well, um, <laughs> basically that's what the Buddha tries to teach: is forget about them. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Um, Doesn't matter. It's gone. You didn't suffer anymore. That's gone. I don't care anymore. Okay. That's it. Okay. But um, there are kinds of thoughts that keep recurring. It will come back again. And all you need to do again is forget all about it again. Whack so, it with your axe and off you go. And you don't have to do yeah. that. So, 
so is it that is it that after I've relaxed for a little bit and I see Duca, I uh, you know, and it's been a while, and I I see Duca emerging and I throw the axe. Is that when the thrill comes back because it's been a while and I'm conserving the energy for something that is actually necessary? Or the answer to that is it's up to you. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. It's up to you. It. But so right. long as you're having great joy in that whipping, that kachunga or that crack, or in your case, throwing that axe. <laughs> okay. So long as you're enjoying doing that, keep doing it. And when we say, oh, I don't even have to do that now. I can throw that duca out or I can see that cow from a distance and just say, hey. Mentally, you don't have to throw the axe. You could just say, okay. ah, I okay. see you. This is the thought because it keeps coming up is I just want to make sure eh, that I just want to make sure that I can really just relax because I don't want to put myself at a disadvantage where I I let go and then I forget I forget the thrill and the joy of throwing mm-hmm. the axe. I don't want to I don't want that to happen. So is that Duca right there? That I need to throw the axe uh, at that yeah. right there? Or is this a I, gen, or is this a good observation that we should talk about? Okay, let's talk about it because it can be either way. Yeah, okay. All right. So the term that I'm going to um uh open up this topic with is the term of whataboutism. Okay. What about, okay. That's actually what you're saying is, is that if I do relax, what if things go bad? Right. That's the what about ism. Right, 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 right. right That's right. just more dukkha to throw your axe at is your what about thoughts. What about if this goes bad? What about if that happens? I mean, this is so common um, yeah. that it's uh, the psychologists know all about it. Now it's even making it into the news. And the way that it's made it into the news is the way that the Republicans are doing it. Anytime that you accuse them as a group or an individual within that group, their only possible response is, yeah, but what about them over there? What about this? Okay, so we say that Trump's a crook. We can say, well, what about Joe Biden? And, you know, and that's their only so. Is this what aboutism? Is that strong? Uh, in our culture. Now, when it's really strong in an individual's mind, it actually has a medical label to it. That medical label is um, OCD or uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm. And that that stuff happens from, well, what if my hands are dirty? Mm-hmm. Or what if the kitchen is dirty? Or what if the doors are not locked? In other words, we're always looking for things that are dangerous and we're trying to make things safe. Mm-hmm. And so the person who has OCD, one of the examples will be the person goes around uh, from window to window all over the house, checking to make sure that it's locked. And when they get all the mm-hmm. windows checked, they'll sit down and rest for a minute or two. And then they'll think, oh, well, what if? I didn't check one of them right. And so they go around and check all the windows again to make sure that they're locked. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is what we mean by obsessive 
compulsive is, is that we are compelled to go do something. And we are obsessed by uh, the fact that something could go wrong. And so we invent and, and uh, make up what if this happens? What if that happens? What if? And in fact, many companies are actually successfully built on that. While all of the employees in that company are stark raving mad with all the things that could go wrong. <clears throat> That's what it is about what about ism. All right. Something's wrong here. We got to go fix it. Uh-huh. And so here you are. And we've actually talked about this in another level is that you've got to have permission. To be successful. Mm-hmm. Because that what about ism is going to come back as well. If you feel this good, what if something happens bad now? Mm-hmm. 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 All right. So throw your axe at that thought too. Okay. It's just the. Congratulations. It's just. It's that we can talk about this stuff and then you begin to see it immediately. Yeah. The, the only thing I'm going to say here, and then, you know, if there's nothing else you got to say to it, I'm just putting it to rest, <laughs> is that it's there's still like that lack of joy or that lack of thrill and throwing it now. Does that no, make just, it any no, less now. Maybe that's already in the past, because just then when you saw that what about ism in your mind, you joyfully threw that axe just now. Right. Let's be at the okay. now, now, not yesterday's now, not this morning's now, or yes, you know, let's be in now, now's, and right now it is joyful to throw that out. Ah, I caught it. Hey, you know what? What might be happening, it's interesting because, like, I think an argument is happening in my head of, like, no, that's not enjoyable. That's not enjoyable anymore. But I'm still, I, but I feel like it is enjoyable. It's like both at the same time. Or I don't know. Sometimes you're it doesn't not really good enough. Good. Is one of the messages that you're having inside. The message is that this is not good enough yet. Mm, you got to keep yet. looking at it. Right. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. What? Right. Yes, it is good enough. Yeah. This is this, this is, is good, good enough. enough. This is it. Yeah. It's good enough. Yeah. It's good enough. Okay. Nothing's going wrong. Everything is okay. You don't have to do any whataboutisms. And in fact, we need to be on guard for those thoughts because those are the kind of thoughts that are going to pull you out of your good feelings. So I just, just want to be clear. Is it possible for like the image or, or the, the analogy that I'm working with to get stale or like as long as I have the same spirit, right? When and, you and call the, it stale, it will be stale. If you can see, ah, I see you stale. <laughs> I know, and I saw that one too. But sometimes it still it still feels uh-huh. if, if, the, like it traps but, me. All right, so this is the point. Then you begin now, or you're at the stage of recognizing how often these kind of thoughts keep coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back. That's why we need to be on guard for them. Is because you have been having those kind of thoughts on a moment by moment basis for years. That's your natural uh, sort of default thought process. But now your default process is, "Ah, I see you. (laughs) But it needs to be um, exercised. It needs to be skillfully done over and over and over again. 
because those thoughts are going to keep coming back over and over and over again. Those what ifs. What if this goes wrong? What if I become dissatisfied? Well, you're not dissatisfied right now, but you're starting to talk yourself into being dissatisfied. Mm. <laughs> okay. So while you're in that state of satisfaction, which is the point that we're making, while you're in that state of satisfaction, now you have to develop the skill of staying in there by keeping the mind on guard for these kind of thoughts. These what about isms, these oh, I'm not good enough, or the kind of thought, well, wow, I feel so good now, I'm sure that disaster is riding around the corner waiting for me. Disaster knows that I'm feeling good and he's going to teach me a lesson. I guess I'm just the, the, the only fear that's there is what if I lose the thrill or the joy of it, and then the practice becomes. There it is again. Uh, there yeah, it is again. I know. That's, that's... I see it. I saw it when I was saying it. I did. I saw it when I was saying it. I just, I can't speak without, like, it's impossible for me to actually speak without sharing a thought of dukkhas that I would ax at. So. Uh-huh. Exactly. So now that you're knowing that, uh, keep that thrill going by that guarding. And take that joy and that pleasure and that sukha and that pity every time that you see those unwholesome thoughts of I might fail or this is not good enough or when the thrill is gone. That's another one. In fact, you can start this kind of don't do list. And one of the items on the don't do list is the thrill is gone. (laughs) And when you say, oh, I'm having the thrill is gone feeling. Or the thrill will go, aha, I see you too. You're right. I mean, I guess if you could personify that, it's like it's like some kind of like evil mercenary that's trying to like convince you, right, and brainwash you that this uh-huh. isn't gonna work or something. Right, it's like exactly. Yeah, it's like in a, in a movie. A person. It was yeah. probably your daddy when you were knee high. <laughs> and you learned that from him. Yeah. Yeah. Or a mommy, or an aunt, or an uncle, or a school teacher, but you were taught that, and you bought it big time, and you've been repeating that story ever since, and now it's time to change your story. Hmm. And so you can personify it. In fact, you might be able to remember actually being told that sometime in the past. I know that I got that I'm not good enough from my dad. Yeah, I got that from my dad, too. Yeah. I mean, in one way, just being able to keep up with him. He Okay. He was a... Um, his anatomy was different than mine. My anatomy is my mother's anatomy. My dad's anatomy was that he weighed... His, he, he had a 32-inch weight. He weighed about 160 pounds. He was not as tall as I am, but he was active, and his job actually was that he was a meter reader. And we're talking about not in, in today's guys where uh, the worst kind of meter reading there is is a guy driving a truck around town, and as soon as his UPS or whatever, uh, not UPS, uh, his Wi-Fi or 
Bluetooth or whatever connection that they have with the meter, they just read it while he's driving through the truck. He doesn't have to get out of the truck and go to the yard. Mm. Okay. My dad was in the position that he didn't go out in the truck. He walked. And he was a meter reader. And he went from meter to meter to meter to meter walking. And now here I'm a young kid trying to keep up with him and his profession. He's a professional walker. And I can't keep up. Uh, And I keep hearing in my head over and over again. Come on, hurry up. uh, uh, I can't keep up with him. uh Guess what? I carried that around for my whole life. And now one of the other words he used was lazy. If I don't cut the grass when he wants me to cut the grass, then I'm lazy, okay? Now, I relish in slow down, you move too fast. I relish in, wow, isn't this so wonderful? I can be lazy. Oh, hell yeah. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I'm the laziest dude you'll find. (laughs) (laughs) My dad was right. I am lazy. Thank you, daddy. But for years, (laughs) I could not handle that. Yeah. I think the truth is we're all lazier than we'd like to. We're all lazier than we let ourselves be. Actually, I would say that we will not allow ourselves the laziness that we deserve. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You said it better. Uh Yeah, (laughs) we do not allow ourselves to be as lazy as we ought to be. Yeah, I mean, wherever the dogs are, they're probably laying down right now. When they want to get out and go out into the yard and run around and find the other dogs and bark, they can do that just fine. But humans have to be doing that all the time because our culture tells us that we, I mean, look at that. How much food do you eat in a day? In other words, if you had the absolute bare minimal expenses, because you didn't have expenses for working. You didn't have to have anything other than toys. You could actually live for two or $300 a month. If yeah. you really practiced on it and, and knew what you were doing and gained <clears throat> great joy in living cheaply. But most homeless people don't know how to do that. And so they are homeless miserably. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Rather than finding, uh, uh, and so uh, the whole idea then is, is that if you could, in fact, support yourself by working one or two hours a day, why is the standard 40 hours a week at a base minimum? And if you're going to be successful, you got to put in between 80 and 120 hours a week. Why is that? Why can't we be successful at one or two hours a day? Mm. Why don't we be successful by only working when we want to work and when we don't want to work, we don't. Most people are working when they don't want to work. That's why we call it work. I feel like most things, I mean, I'm sure obviously there'd be like a restructuring, right, of our world, but I think maybe a lot of the things that we get done and do well and function well as a, as a group, we won't have anymore, you know? Who's going to, how are we going to get our medications if the pharmacy's not open eight hours a day? How are we well, gonna the do- pharmacy can be open, but the pharmacist lives in the pharmacy. 
And he only has to deal with people when they come into their pharmacy. And they, otherwise, he's hanging out. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, or, that's not true. He can't live in the pharmacy. That's against the law. Uh, and so look at all of the protection that he has to have and uh, to protect his pharmacy. I mean, look how much security that he and his uh, pet Wolverine <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't have to pay for any of that if he was in in his uh, in his home in his house and his house was the pharmacy hmm. okay so shop houses are very common in asia and so when the there's nobody in the store the people are at home and when somebody comes into the store now the store is a store so what about the whole thing of like people don't like their work you know, they don't like mixing their work with their home environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a bag of culture that is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it certainly would They want things... you to work at work and not work at home because your home will distract you from the work. And my answer to that is, duh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, who is it that wants you to work so hard the guy who's making money off of your your work and your skills that's who wants you to keep working and keep working and keep working so he can get fatter and richer and fatter and richer and he doesn't have to do anything the smart one you're the dumb one for working for him (laughs) and then you say well i'm supposed to that's how things are you're supposed to go get a job for centuries, nobody in Thailand ever went to get a job. They just stayed at home and found something to do. And now they call it a farm. Or a local store. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so we could have a very easy lifestyle if we would change our culture, but we can't change the culture, but we can change ourselves. We can change the individual. Yeah. You begin to check out and recognize that, hey, I am not a slave to the society and have to work the way they I am told to work. But in fact, I can begin to enjoy my life instead. And if you're best friends with the boss, he's not going to fire you, even if you're the least productive employee in the factory. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And a lot of people don't realize that. That, hey, the guy who has to do the least work is the teacher's pet. (laughs) Yeah. So, with these mentalities, we can begin to see that, yeah, it really is okay for me to be lazy, working wisely. Another example of that is, is that a good boss is so good at being a boss that he's got no work to do. That the only thing that a boss has to do is to try to fix what he thinks is broken. About somebody, employee, the work is not good enough, this, that, and the other thing. You know all the things that bosses do. But if the boss only saw his job, the only job I've got as a boss is just to be friends with my employees. Guess what? Now he's got nothing to do. Because there's no thinking, there's nothing broken. I know. Getting along and the work gets done. I know. That's really nice. Without a lot of effort in it. 
That's why I think I'd have a lot of fun being a manager. It's just that you get more responsibility, <laughs> you know, more hours. That's the problem with being a boss in uh, in a chain of bosses is, yeah. is that the boss that you've got doesn't want you to be that kind of boss because he doesn't know what it's like. The whole issue yeah. is exactly the issue of work from home. We're starting a revolution. Mm-hmm. Computers themselves did not cause the revolution of working from home. It mm-hmm. was a virus. That's mm-hmm. what did it. Yep. And I think a, I think a huge part of it, too, it, we've, we've developed a greater acceptance for that laziness that we uh-huh. ought to give ourselves. And yeah. that, the, the, and that the, pe- people are choosing to work from home now, <laughs> even though we can all go back to work. No one talks about it. It's just like it just like happened, you know. Uh-huh. They're not talking about this so much anymore, but starting in uh, especially July, August, and then September was a big one to where a whole lot of people are now going back to work after COVID and then quitting their job again. And so you have a mass exodus of workers that are saying, hey, I can do better than this that I got along with COVID for a year without working. I'm coming back to work and I'm really beginning to see what's going on here. And people are quitting their jobs by the millions. Wow, are they really? Yeah, by the millions people are quitting their jobs. Wow. Huh. That's where the labor shortage is coming from is people don't want to go back to work. That's amazing. That's, that's part of the, yeah, that's part of the cultural revolution that's happening. And wow. I'm standing here from Thailand watching the show and just applauding. Yay, team! <laughs> Quit your jobs. I like that. <laughs> wow. Come be Dhamma dudes. Come hang out and enjoy your lives and stop working so hard. But if all these people are quitting their jobs, what are they going to do? Do they want to just create their own no. work? They will find a way, and many of them will find a way with a whole bunch of what about isms in their mind, and other people will just be throwing their axes happily at those what about isms. And you just did another what about ism. <laughs> well, it's not directly, it's not per- personally but, toward me, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the whole point, though, is that. Um, that's where everybody is. They're afraid what will happen of me if I don't have a job. Because in our culture, we're taught that uh, if you don't work, you don't eat. What will happen at the polls when 40, 60, maybe 80, maybe 20, 100, 120 million people who have quit their jobs are now voting? Who are they going to vote for? Mm hmm. Why do you if say it has to do with voting? Because it will be, you see, a lot of our cultural norms are codified into law. Now that the more cultural norms are shifting, the laws are going to have to keep up with that. But the politicians' whole idea is to keep things the way that they are, and things are actually changing. So people are going to have to, if, they, if they're wanting the government to change. In other words, um, 
I forgot his name, but one of the guys ran for president said that he would give everybody, no matter what income that they had, everyone gets $1,000 a month. Wow, that'd be great. If everyone got $1,000 a month, almost nobody would have to work. The only people that would have to work would be the ones who do want more money than that. Well, mm-hmm. let them go run the society, and everybody who is happy on $1,000 a month can be in Sanda instead. Mm. We also have the issue of AI coming up. They say, and I believe that it will happen, uh, the question is, will it happen in five years or will it happen in 10 years? But people will in 10 years from now, uh, perhaps uh, commercially, five years from now, there will be no truck driver's jobs. None. Really? There will be no truck drivers on any roads anywhere in the world. Wow. Why? Because the trucks are out there driving themselves. Wow. They're actually now experimenting with trains drive themselves. If, if, if you had very small trains who could actually change the, guy, uh, the, the track movement, so the train itself, rather than having to have a station master to pull those levers while the train goes by, if the, tra- if the train could control all the tracks, then you could have little trains going all over the place with all the tracks that we've got. You know, this is so amazing because, like, there is so much attachment to your job as mm-hmm. having to do with your identity, you know, so so much attachment and meaning and significance that goes into that for people. I know there was for me for a long time and, mm-hmm. and there still is, but very much less than there ever was before. But some people, man, like they their whole life, their whole mm-hmm. world is their job. So it's no wonder that we have this, you know, we still have this pressure, this, this culture of, you know, get a work, you know, you know, get a good paying job. Blah, 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 blah. But when we have AI doing everything, mm-hmm. there's not going to be any reason to do anything. Exactly. <laughs> We're and like, the question is who owns the AI, who owns the process of production? That'll be the government probably. Well, is so long as it is, let us say, use the example of General Motors with unions, they are going to be staying very, very behind in their technology because the unions and the and the corporations are having contracts that have to be renegotiated, but it's still this kind of situation between the uh, the, the businesses and the uh, like GM and Ford and whatnot. Or you look at Tesla, who was saying, we only want human beings to do what we're machines can't do. <coughs> we only want machine or we only want humans around uh, when we can't get a machine. That's why uh, Elon Musk is going into robotics big time. Because if he could do self-driving uh, automobiles, that's nothing but a robot on wheels. You take the wheels off it and put it in a humanoid shape, and now you've got that same AI that can run the factory, or at least put parts on widgets that can't be done by a bigger machine stamped into place automatically. You can have a robot do it. 
Wow. So almost wow. all of the Tesla cars are being made primarily by robots. The humans are there as engineers making doing the, the things robots. that ro- making the robots, exactly. But wow. now they even have a factory in, uh, uh, I think it's in New York, uh, in Buffalo, New York, where they have a factory of robots and they, uh, their output is making robots. Robots wow. making robots. Wow, that's nuts. It's nuts. No, it is just what's happening. What's yeah. nuts is people saying, what about me when all of that stuff gets into gear? If you have the idea of whippy, we've got AI, let everybody, I mean, I can find the, I can just relax. Yeah, that's great. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. But most people are going to be terrified. What about me? I don't have a, a job. There's that whataboutism. So mm-hmm. we're going to have to have probably one or maybe two generations of whataboutism while we go through AI. Mm. But yeah, there's going to be already that way that uh, you, you've heard about machine or mechanized farming. In the old days, 100 years ago, everybody had their own small farm. But oh, really? have been collected together. Right. My grandfather was a farmer. Wow. Um, uncles were farmers. Everybody was into dabbling in farming. My grandmother grew the, the food. We grow our own food right here in the garden. Not all of it, but chilies and tomatoes and uh, b- bananas, coconuts, pineapples, all that kind of stuff. Just right here and you go get it. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so the um, the point then is is that because the farms have been collected, that means that uh, it once took 90% of the population to feed 100% of the population. Already now, it's less than 3% of the population in the United States is feeding 100% of the population. And we're going in that direction because of the bigger, the bigger the farms. And now the farmers uh, that own the corporations that own the farm, all they want is one guy to come into the shed to turn the computers on in the morning. And all of these uh, farm equipment is already mechanized. Each one of them has its own GPS. It knows exactly where to go farm. It has uh, satellites so that they can see where this part of the farm or this part of the patch of land, uh, part of the plow field, needs more fertilizer than the others. And so these machines, as they're going through the field, will over-fertilize the area that needs fertilization. They'll put water where water is needed, et cetera, like that, and and do even better farming. Meanwhile, other machines will go and pick the strawberries so humans don't have to do it. They've already got really excellent strawberry picking machines built because of COVID. We don't need the labor now because we've got machines that can pick strawberries. Before, strawberries were very delicate, very difficult to pick to figure out which strawberries could be picked. It's a very, very intelligent operation to be a strawberry picker. Hmm. And they didn't have them. So they've developed AI equipment to do that. Is this Hmm. strawberry worth picking right now? And not only that, but now the computers can remember each individual strawberry as it's being developed. So what about all the starving children in the world? Uh... 
the people who are starving, the starving children in the world, there's two, there actually, there's a triple gem, or a, not a gem, a triple thing that is happening there. It's called the second noble truth. Greed, ill will, and ignorance. The issue sure. part is, is that we do waste more than 30% of the food. We would rather throw it in the bin, and I'm talking about we, grocery stores, would rather throw the stuff in the bin than to just take it uh, down to, which may even be cheaper to do, is just take it down and put it on one of the local street corners in the town. Wow. Yeah, or like a like a local donor or something, like a donor, like a, a donor truck or something, like a food drive area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And so if the grocery store started giving away all of the stuff that they did throw out and what did they throw out? Well, things got timestamps on it. You can't sell it beyond a a sell by date. But they could give it away. That's not against the law. Instead, they dump it. There is actually on YouTube, I've seen recently the harrowing experience of places like Amazon that when all of the Christmas returns, they're just dumping it. It's too much difficult to do, to restock. They'll just take the loss and dump the returns. Huh. They could give them away. They yeah. could put it back on uh, uh, the website saying free goodies here. Now, they probably know this. That's my thinking. Yeah, they don't want to do it. It's it's this is where laziness becomes a becomes a problem. <laughs> this is no no. It's this is not laziness. This is greed. Mm. Mm. If they put that stuff out on the street corner and people just come to get it, that means that the people who came to get it won't be going to the grocery store to buy it. Mm. And so they would rather throw out the old stuff so that people come and get the new stuff so that they stay profitable. If they throw out the old stuff, then people won't buy the new stuff. And so they'll have to throw the new stuff out as old again. And so they can see, I'm just in the business of giving away my food is their mentality. So how could they stay profitable then if if they did that, if they ended up just giving it away? Why do they have to stay profitable? Well, I guess they don't. But if it's a business, you know, they want to make money. Well, they want to make money because of the way that our system is set up. Yeah. It's capitalist. Why do we have to have a capitalist society? Can't, why can't we have store owners that are in it for, I mean, the house he lives in is no bigger than anybody else's house in town. Why should the store owner have to have a great big house to live in? <laughs> The same way with doctors. And here's a really interesting one. In Thailand, they have a um, a national system set up that has both for the nursing schools and the medical schools that anyone who qualifies, who wants to go to medical school, can either pay his way through and do it the normal way with these are government schools anyway, so they're not high. Or he can kind of contract with the government that the government will pay his education give him a living, give him quarters, he gets his medical education, and after that, he goes to do a 10-year internship, a 10-year internship where he is paid to be a doctor in a hospital. Mm. 
after his internship of 10 years, he's free to go be a medical doctor anywhere he wants to, but many of them will stay right there in the hospital they're already in. We don't have anything like that in the U.S. Mm. No, in fact, the medical profession itself wants to keep medical doctors at a premium. They want to keep only a few of them around so that they can all, the ones who are in the club, make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Oh, man, that's sick. <laughs> all they'd need to do is just build more medical schools, let kids go to school and get become medical doctors, and then we would have all the medical doctors we need because people like it. There's a lot of hypochondriacs that want to be medical doctors. You know, I was wondering, actually, if um if doctors, if they, I don't know if you know this, if doctors get a commission off of, each medication that they prescribe to a patient. Then they will prescribe more medication than the patient actually needs. Do they get a commission? Do you know? I was yes. curious about that. Do they get a yes. commission? Yes. Not only that, but that they get so many, nuts. many other perks. One student told me that at one time recently, he went into a doctor's office, a medical doctor's office with his, uh, uh, I think he was taking care of his mother or something like that. And in this room, the doctor's office himself, not a, uh, a, um, a, uh, let us say, not a, a visiting room, but the actual office that he uh, spends his time in, he has an entire collection of coffee mugs from the pharmaceutical companies that he represents. The pharmaceutical representatives really go in after those doctors. You got to sell my pills. You got to sell my pills. You got to sell my pills. And here's your commission for it. It's a big time, well-known business in the oh United States. That's why medications are so expensive in the U.S. is because there's a big, big deal between the doctors and the pharmaceutical companies and the uh, hospitals. They're all in a huge mafia. Oh, my God, man. That's nuts. That is so nuts. And it went that way. See, in 1970s, <clears throat> hospitals were hospitals. But during the Reagan administration, every hospital became a business. I remember you telling me that. Yep. So hospitals are not business. Uh, hospitals are no longer hospitals. Well, the local hospital here in Thailand uh, is. The government hospitals. But in the United States, every hospital, especially the Catholic ones, are money-making businesses. It's funny. It's the it's the invisible sales game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? and the invisible part of it is, oh, you're sick. You need a doctor. Yeah, you're sick. You no, need a you're doctor. No, you're not sick. You're you just making yourself sick with your thoughts. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and look at how many of the medications are actually for that. I mean, every painkiller, all of the oxycodone, anything that's got oxy in its name, all of it is done because uh, people don't take care of their own mental problems correctly by having wise thoughts. They go to the medical doctor who is going to charlatanize them into taking a bunch of pills. That's nuts, man. I mean, we actually don't even know for real, like what the truth truth is, if these pills actually have any like evident indicators of actually working. 
of of actually helping people with their thoughts, helping people with their minds. You know, it, mm -hmm. we we don't really know. It could all be one giant placebo effect. Um, it it's if if it's this easy, and you know, by easy I mean that by I the way, have to the pay is nothing pills. but placebo. Go exactly right. <laughs> Sorry about that, but yeah, it's a placebo. But <laughs> if we wisely operate correctly with placebos, we get maximum benefit out of the placebo. <laughs> Oh, now, generally, the placebos are operating at about 20 to 28 percent. But there has been actual research done that they can drive that up into the 40s. And here's the way that you could do that. If you're doing the blind study to where the people who don't know um, uh, either the caregivers <laughs> or the patients, both of them are blind to who gets what medication. But the setting is all the same. And the setting now is a hospital. The setting is, is that this patient is sick and they're in a hospital bed and they're getting an IV. And this IV has this magical new potion that they're testing. And they're in a hospital setting where you've got heart monitors, you've got doctors coming in. Everybody's really happy about testing this new medicine. The placebo goes up to about 45%. Because everybody thinks they're getting that new pill and that new pill is working because look how much effort the hospital is putting into it. But if you just give them a bottle of pills and take it home and then later you fill out an application or a, a survey, how, how well did this pill do? The placebo rate goes down to about 30%, 20%. Okay, so it has to do with the amount of effort of the skin in the game that the placebo uh, user is getting. Mm. <clears throat> so, um, well, just out of like, I'm just because out of eagerness and curiosity, what happens now? <laughs> like after I, you know, as I start to relax and, and still be on guard, what like, I mean, yeah, I'll just enjoy relaxing and being on guard. But is there anything else? Is there anything else in the, in the path? Well, why would you ask? That sounds like another whataboutism. Um, okay, I asked because I know there's something more in the path. There's got there's more uh, there's the got to be, but okay, let us say for there the is. piano student who is practicing uh Ravel and um uh Debussy, and he's asking, is there more to the piano than Ravel and Debussy? The answer is yes, there is Chopin, there is Beethoven, but and there is Tchaikovsky. But let's play the music that you could play. And when you get yeah. good at playing the music that you can play, we'll give you a little more difficult pieces to play okay. as your skills develop. Okay. But if you're unsatisfied with Ravel and Debussy, then you won't improve. You'll never be able to play Chopin. You'll never play that revolutionary etude if you can't play uh, Claire de Lune. Interesting. So is excitement a form of dissatisfaction? Mm, both and, yes. and wanting more. Um, 
Because I just it, noticed, like, I was going to tell you, well, I'm just excited. I'm just excited to know more, absolutely. like, to, to know more about the path. But I realized, well, yes, but that indicates like, that in I want cases, something very, more. very well. But it also has the quality of uh, I can do this. Yeah, that Let me too. Let it. Yeah, that right. too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that too. Yes, Thanks. That, yeah, that's that. There is that that's as well. That's the yeah. pity. That's yeah. the pity. That's the uh, the pity that we have as the the feeling of uh, excitement, enthusiasm. That in fact now though we're enthusiastic about enthusiastic about something very wholesome, as opposed to being enthusiastic about something that's unwholesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I have seen smokers enthusiastically looking for their cigarette. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, but now we're being enthusiastic literally for the Dhamma. Guess what? The enthusiasm for the Dhamma is actually one of the knowledges of Sotapan. Is enthusiastic. Enthusiastic to learn what's in the mind, to be enthusiastic about all of this stuff. That, yeah, we could do this. We could figure this out. We got this wired. Enthusiasm is not only just is it okay or not. No, it is an essential ingredient to the correct practice of the Dhamma. This is, in fact, part of the skin in the game. The th- Cracking that whip and using the arm, the mental arm to do it. Exactly. Throwing yes. that axe. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. That yes feeling. That's it. Okay. That's the enthusiasm. And it is the essential part of the path. So long as the enthusiasm is wholesome, it will do you well. When the enthusiasm is for unwholesome stuff, you're going to have a whole lot of battle, a, a lot of what about isms going on. <laughs> Alex, I gotta tell you, I'm so proud of you. Congratulations <laughs> for really, really getting it. That's so great. I uh, really like thanks. You know, thanks, Tomorado. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're getting it. You're coming along. You got it. Thank you. Feel good really about your, you. You've got something now. You know that you can throw that axe. You know that you can do it enthusiastically. <laughs> and that you can enjoy doing this knowing that there is more later. That there is even a deeper level of satisfaction. But you got to have this enthusiasm for practice. You're right. You're right. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just enjoy this right now. This is That's good enough. This is good enough. enough. Wow, it is good enough, isn't it? This is good enough. Oh, wow, this really is good enough. This really is good enough. If I and if I have this for just a you know another moment, another moment, another moment. mm. This is good enough. This is it. Yeah, that's the development of sukha, the actual satisfaction. This really is good enough. This really is good enough. It's like good enough. It really is. Especially comparatively, you know, to the past, like just even to yesterday. Oh, wow. Okay. This is good enough. I, I could either think about wanting something more or wish I had something better or look at what I have now and be like, man, this is good enough. <laughs> this is good enough. I'm going to shut my mouth. I'm not going to jinx it. This is good enough. <laughs> Actually, that I'm, I'm going to, I'm not going to jinx it. That can either be a wholesome or an unwholesome thought, 
depending I, upon I whether you might jinx it when you think I'll jinx it. I know. I but just noticed say, that. Aha, too. I see that too. I know. <laughs> I, I noticed it. I noticed it. I was like, well, the only one jinxing here is me. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. there's, there's no, you know, there's no neighbor over there trying to jinx yeah, yeah. me. Like, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Then in fact, uh, the only thing way that I can jinx myself is by having thoughts. I might jinx myself. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so let's go ahead and end this conversation. I got to end it with I am so pleased about it. This is really, really great. Danny needs to see this video if he has time. <laughs> I'm so pleased too, Dalrado. Thank you so much. You and you and Dan have been so very helpful to me. Really, and I and I want to say, like I told Dan today, um, as as much as I don't want to like cling to a permanence of like being, man, I got this now. Like I I'm not going back. At the same time, there is a real sense of like me just putting my foot down and be like, no, I'm not going back. Like right. no. this is it. Like I I have I have chosen I I've chosen to literally navigate. And and uh, and 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 walk upon a new world. That is what has happened. I'm I'm literally navigating through and walking upon a new world, and I've created it for myself, oh. and it's not going anywhere. Congratulations! <laughs> yeah, really. Congratulations! <laughs> Pat myself on the back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Don Rod. Okay. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. See you. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.